Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Then all the things you're doing, keeping the commandments and all the rest, you're doing it to add value to the other people, to peacefully coexist with them, to help them socially, religiously, spiritually, everything else in this world, and even to boot of all of that, you're trying to present them with a message of eternal forgiveness so they can have eternal life by someone who died for them that they don't have to do anything but just believe. Do you catch that? Why in the right mind would those people come against Christians? It makes no sense. Now, they'll come against so-called Christians, fake Christianity, people that live hypocritical lives, and that's everybody in this room, including the one at the pulpit. And when we do that, they're coming against us. But against that whole truth, there's no reason for them to do that. And that's what Jesus is basically saying right here. They hated me without a cause. There was no cause. So don't try to sit there and rationalize with these people around truth to get them to back off buckwheat from all their kind of persecution that you're going to get. I gave you a list of what they said in those days about Christians. They said, oh, the Christians, they want to overthrow the government. Now, here's what Christians really said. Christians really said this. We worship God, not Caesar. What if, and there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody has a right to worship, but the Christians said, we're going to worship God, not Caesar. What did the world do? The world said, these Christians are coming against the Roman government. They want to overcome Caesar. Never said that. It's like we'll take a stand for biblical marriage between a man and a woman, and we believe that same-sex marriage is wrong. Spiritually, sure, we can understand that, but socially and all the we can give them all of that kind of stuff. They will not get it. They just will not get it. And what they do is they'll throw on top of us that we are gay bashers, homophobic. They create and they define for themselves to fuel them in their persecution against us when we're not even defined by that at all through Scripture. Here's another one I put down here that we're cannibals. You say, well, do they really say that? Yep. Jesus says, <clears throat> when we're taking the communion, you know, it's kind of like eating my body. You know that John 6. We already taught you all that. Go back to that CD. You eat, and how Jesus says you're eating all this. Well, he never really said you're eating my body like a cannibal. Have you ever used the term, boy, he really eats that stuff up? I can remember my mom and dad, you know, I'd get all the surfing magazines I could get, you know, and I'd listen to all the surf. One surf shop in my town when I grew up as a kid. Okay, one, only one. And I would go there. Anytime there was anything about surfing on TV, which was rare, I'd, I'd watch it. I can remember my mom say to my dad, he really eats that stuff up. Now, I never chewed on a skeg. I never chewed on fiberglass, okay? I just got into that. And so I eat that stuff up about Jesus and the intimacy that we have with him through all of this. But they called us cannibals. They called us immoral. Now, how did they call Christians immoral? Well, because back in those days when you had the Lord's Supper, you would have what they call a love feast, an agape feast, where that the Christians would come together to eat with one another, to affirm each other's love, to heal any broken relationships, to ask forgiveness, to grow, to demonstrate this bonding that's found between Christ and the church together with one another, and to boot, we would give each other a holy kiss. And all of a sudden, they took that to nothing but Christian wild orgies. Arsonists, you say, how did that happen? Well, because we believe that uh, at the end of the age, what's going to happen to the whole world system, the whole earth, what's going to happen? It's going to be burned up, right? Crack apart. 
And so what happened is Rome caught on fire. And knowing the Christians believed that, Nero then said, these Christians are arsonists burning up the system. And so the, he leading the charge came against Christians, and it goes on from there. Then I put down here that their faith ruins families. Now, I hope you understand what I'm about to say. They're kind of right on that. It ruins the family in the sense that if you have a family that has their own value system and they're all lovey-dovey and you all have this kind of stuff and you all kind of work together and then one of you come to know Christ as Savior and you say, you know what, I know that every week we, um, we have a dinner together, but, you know, we have a worship service, so let's, let me get with you all the other times. I'll even bring food over early. I'll come later, but I want to be with another group of people on Sunday because it's a time for me to be stronger because I really love the Lord. All of a sudden, it's like, you're leaving the family? How can you ever do that kind of stuff? And then they hear it from so called Christians that think they know their Bibles that they begin to now demoralize the people for even wanting to gather together because Christianity should bring families together and that's nowhere in scripture totally somewhere it is yeah we're to love one another and support and serve our mom and dad and honor and all that that's bringing families together but there are times that we still have to separate and we know that in fact Jesus says unless you hate blah 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 family etc you cannot be my disciple and I didn't say hate like I hate you and I don't want anything to do with you mom or dad or brother or sister it just means that there's such a love for the Lord that it might appear like I hate my family it's a relative preference common uh, grammar so it's kind of it's relative so that happened so why won't reason work number one because what we believe as a Christian listen is not a difference of opinion it's not you got your opinion I have my opinion opinions are like armpits we all have them and they all stink what we believe about the Bible is not just an opinion. It is absolute, 100% truth. Let me do something here for you. Is it purely my opinion that if I throw my keys up, they're going to fall? That's a law. Yeah, it may be my opinion, but it's based upon a law, a truth. So Christianity isn't like my opinion's bigger than your opinion. Or I got more facts about my opinion than you have about yours. It's not about an opinion. Number two, it's different because our natures are different. And this is a sermon in itself that when you're trying to compare what you believe, why you believe, why you're living the way you believe, will, will not sit right with those people. I'm talking about those that are going to marginalize you the three ways we started the sermon with. It's because their nature is different. Now some of you are hearing this and you're saying, yeah, but... I've got my Christian friends that even come against me when I take, quote, too strong of a stand for Christ. And I have to put that in quotes because I don't know if you're being weird when you're doing it or if you're just lovingly taking a stand. And these people, they have the same nature, the new nature in them, but what's happening with their nature is their nature is so confused, that new nature that's pure, they've covered it all up with a deceitful heart, believing part of the world, wanting to be accepted, one foot in Christianity, the other foot in the world, and they're kind of all over the map. And they're the ones persecuting you. Well, in a sense, their nature is still different. Not inner nature of the new man, but all that other stuff. So persecution is not something that you can reason out of existence. It's going to happen. Let's go to number seven. Number seven is, he says, to trust the Holy Spirit. In verse 26, it says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. I need to go on a little tangent here. Those of you that have been a part of our church for the last eight years, I always do this at this point. I want to show you the Trinity 
as I'm going through Scripture so you can mark it. You will see the Trinity in this verse. I, Jesus, that is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, proceeds from the Father God. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all mentioned in this one verse alone. Now, all the verses preceding it shows you the deity. Jesus and God are one, so that'll help you when you're dealing with the cults. This one is now going to prove the Trinitarian belief system here, that we believe that all three are equal, separate but equal, all right, together. And I love this when it says, when the Holy Spirit comes, and he now has come, in our history of progressive revelation through the Bible, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So now, if you will, just look up here for just a moment. When you're taking your stand for Christ, whatever it is, remember how I told you we're not alone because there are other believers that are doing that? I don't want to pop your bubble, but even though you're doing it, there will be some Christians that will begin to peel back slowly. You start taking your stand at a restaurant with a waitress or a waiter that's there, and you want to start, and you're engaging them, preparing them for some kind of stand for Christ, information about Christ. You're going to find that others are rust. Even Christians will be playing with their menus and kind of getting away. It doesn't mean you all have to pounce on this person, but you're going to see that. You're going to feel alone when you start engaging. It just seems like a... Even sometimes that leaders will go up with their team, but halfway up their team stops going with them and the leader goes all by themselves. Do you all know what I'm trying to talk about? Okay. When that happens, not yet, but when that happens, I still want you to know you're not alone. If Jesus says in Matthew 28, I'm with you to the end of the age, and here he says you got the Spirit, and he's going to testify. So now you are partnering with Jesus, the Spirit, and Almighty God in this one verse. He's doing the testifying, but he's testifying, watch this, watch this, watch this, through my lips, your lips. So I want you to know that there's still something that's bigger than you and me through this taking a stand for Christ and telling truth. So trust the Holy Spirit. You're not in it alone. God will set it up. God will carry it through. God will bring it to a close. And that's God the Spirit that does it. Which now brings me to number eight, which is after all these weeks of teaching chapter 15, it says this, tell the truth about Jesus. In verse 26, it says, he will testify about me. Now verse 27 says, and you will also testify. So can you see how that we're doing it together? He does it. I'm doing it. We're in partnership with him. Now watch this. If we're abiding in him, then we know that we're partnering even more so with the spirit. Now go on here. It says, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now that is said more pragmatically with the guys that he called right from the beach, so to speak, okay, the the disciples and some of the others, okay, so he called it from the beginning, but you and I, we have been with him from the beginning of our Christian life, and technically, we've been with him from the beginning of everything, because we were in his mind before we were ever born, so this whole thing began with the Lord with us, so he's been watching us through this whole journey that we're having right here, and he gave us all this truth, reminding that the Spirit will testify the truth using the Word of God, now we're to testify the truth, and we can do it because we have been with him, hopefully abiding in him as well from the very beginning. Well, how do we respond? There's three ways we can respond to this, if you'll notice the last three. One, we can blend into the world because they hate us. And there are some of you that will go out there and if they ever found out that you're a Christian, some of them might be really surprised because we blended in so much. I don't want to get you to overly question your salvation, but I do want you to at least take your temperature. Is it possible that you really haven't trusted Christ? And so it's so easy for you to give in 
because you have absent within you the governor of the Holy Spirit. He didn't come inside of you because you haven't trusted him yet. So you're kind of hanging on to this whole Christian thing about salvation and you got it together. Maybe some of you think it's by good works, so therefore I am a Christian. Now you're not saved, the Spirit's still not in you. So you blend in easily. Now it doesn't mean you have to wear Jesus junk and Jesus jewelry and put Jesus stickers all over your car and tattoo Jesus on your forehead, paint it on the roof of the building. But it does mean that we live a life, watch this, watch this, watch this, not with the purpose of I want to look different from the world. If you do that, then we'll always be weird. What I want to do is I want to live the way God wants me to live. And so when you say, what about the clothes I wear? Well, he doesn't tell us too much about it except to be modest. Draw attention to the Lord and not to the parts of our body. What, what about movies? Do we go to movies or not? Well, ask yourself. The use of my money, is, is it going to further the gospel? Is it going to be, bring glory to the Lord? And are these people reprobates that I'm paying to continue their reprobation to this world by going to that movie? See, I'm not against movies. I don't, we get too much of that. What we've got to do is what does God want us to do right here? And then do what he says for us to do. So don't blend in. Number two, we can fight back. We can fight back. And uh, when I say fighting back, I want to give you a caution on the fighting back. There's a, there's a, unfortunately, there's a Baptist church, and that's why I don't, I don't like to name churches Presbyterians, Methodists, or Baptists and all that, because when you have one Baptist church that goes bonkers, you try to communicate to the world. You know, I go to International Baptist Church. Oh, you're just like those that, that uh, demoralize families when a soldier dies because there was some kind of connection to homosexuality or something. And so when I say fight back, I'm not talking about fighting back with mean-spirited signs and screaming horrible terms to people because they have a different belief system than you and I have. Maybe the fighting back is nothing more than at least going public in a loving, gracious way, which now I get to number three, which is to just tell the truth. Just tell the truth in love. Just tell the truth, which ended this whole chapter. Tell others about Jesus. The best way that you can um, expose darkness is just turn the light on, right? Just tell people about Jesus. How many of you remember the man by the name of Brother Andrew? And he wrote probably the first book on persecution uh, in our time. Not um, Fox's Book of Martyrs is the first one, but this one. He wrote it was called God Smuggler. How many of you remember that book? Anybody remember that book? He said something interesting. He was fond of quoting a passage in the book of Psalms that said this, with your help, God, I can attack an enemy. With God's help, I can jump over a wall. And he would quote that to people like you and me. And then he would ask the question, what does it take to accomplish that? With God's help, I can jump over a wall. And he'd get such answers as, well, you have to have faith, or you have to have God's strength, or God has to answer your prayers, and all of this stuff. And he would always, in a chuckle in his heart, he says, no, nah, it's none of that. None of that. With God's help, I can jump over a wall. You know what you need? His answer was simple. You need a wall. Did you catch what I said? That's beautiful. You know, I don't need God's strength when I don't have a wall. You know what I mean. I don't need to jump over anything if there's nothing there to jump over. So, you need Jesus. You need the Lord, first of all, to forgive you of all of your sin so you can have an eternal relationship with a God who loves you, who did everything that was necessary that had to be done so you could have eternal life in heaven with him forever. He did every bit of it. 
And that's the cross and resurrection experience. But he didn't just die and rise again, believe and then abandon. He prepared the way before he ever went to the cross. And that's what we've been learning here. So that there would be a cadre of people that would take that truth, the only truth for salvation, and permeate planet Earth with it for all the time on God's timeline of agenda. He did all of that. So you could have eternal life and a whole lot of other things as well. But for eternal life, you need to trust Christ. So that we are without excuse. We are sinners in need of a Savior. No amount of me giving you, I can inundate you with apologetics and how we know the Bible, and I will do that. I'll give it to you. We'll have classes and all that. I want that. But it still has to be where you recognize in a humble fashion, I am a sinner. I have broken the law. I know that I'm guilty. I know that there are times that I should have done good and I didn't do it. And I don't care if you knew the law or didn't know the law. Whatever you knew to do good and to do, you knew what was right and you didn't do it. Your conscience is even telling you that. Then you need a Savior. And Jesus says, I took all your sin before you were born on myself. The ticket's been paid for by my death and resurrection. I'm offering it to you as a free gift to you. Cost me my life. You have it free. And he says, now if you'll just receive me as your Savior by placing your faith alone in me, you have everlasting life. How can you not do this? Who, who in the world in the right mind would not want to trust Christ? that would want to perhaps abandon their entire eternal destiny on something of still, I don't know. Okay, you don't know. Then you need to spend every waking moment to discover what it is because I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, you will die. And whether you know what happens after you die or not doesn't really matter. It happens after you die. So if you don't accept Christ as your Savior and you think it's another way, then prove it's another way. Please trust Christ as your Savior. And those of you who have known Christ as your Savior, I ask you, I implore you, and I'm speaking to me, Stan. We've got to go public with our life and our lips, so to speak. We've got to go public. And then we have to be ready for the tsunami when it hits, whether it's a little bit of feeling that we are drawn away from someone else or whether it's a little bit of passive aggression from people or whether it's active to the point of losing our jobs and losing some relationships. Now, I can't put every one of your situations in one sermon, but if some of you are still trying to sort it out, what does it mean by this and what does it mean by that? Just call me on the phone. Let's get together, talk the story, see what the Bible has to say. But the truth doesn't change. How to apply it will be very special. Dear ones, I, I want you to know that I really love you. And I really love the Lord. And I pray you trust Christ. And then I pray afterwards you go public. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. I want to give you a moment with heads bowed and eyes closed just to talk to the Lord. Whatever you think of me or how I deliver sermons, or I want you to just lay that aside right now and open up your Bible and go through this passage of Scripture. And just at that moment, I want you to experience the wisdom of God. When Jesus says to his disciples who were believers to abide in him. If you're a believer, will you abide in him? And if you will, will you love others? And beginning perhaps with the easy to love, then the slow to warm up people to love, then the hard people to love, and then the people who won't love you back, and then to the very people that could take your life, take your family, take your job, take your money. Because you've taken a stand for Christ. Will you? Now for those of you that are outside the faith, 
Can you think of any better time to trust Christ than right now? Or you might say, oh, I think it would be nice to do that around Christmas. I'll kind of get it all. I'll seal the deal at Christmas because, you know, that's the birth of Christ. Some of you might say, oh, I'll seal the deal at Easter. That's, that's the time to do it. That's when they talk about the resurrection. And that's a, that's a magical, mystical time. I'll do it then. I'd say, yeah, go ahead, wait. If it means so much to you, go ahead and wait. If you'll do me one favor between now and then, don't die. And since you and I don't know when we're going to die, then let me urge you to trust Christ now and then enter the Christmas season already a believer. Enter the Christmas season already requesting from family and friends that are going to give you gifts anyway to get you a good study Bible, to buy you some good books on how to guide you through the interpretation and understanding of Scripture and the veracity of it. Begin to adjust your calendar so that you can invite people to be a part of what we're doing here to reach more people. So come to Christ right now. No, we're not going to have you walk forward. We're not going to have you stand up. We're not going to embarrass you. Becoming a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ And that little phrase means Jesus died, he paid for you with his death. That's the blood part. He bought you, which means that he owns you now because he took you into his heart and life. And since he owns you, he's not going to discard you or throw you away as long as you're a believer in him. And once you believed in him, the Spirit so seals you that when you have days of doubt, he still keeps you saved. So is there anyone in here today that's ready to place their faith in Jesus Christ? Wouldn't you want to do it now? So simply say this, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong. I want to thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising again. You already know, Lord, that right now I'm putting my faith in you, so I'm just thanking you for this brand new relationship that's going to last forever because my sins are forgiven. You see, that moment that you're transferring your trust from yourself and your works to Christ, that transfer and the actual placing of your faith got you into God's forever family. So is there anyone in here that would like to let me know that? I'd like to pray for you. Now, when I do, I'm not going to mention your name in my prayer or describe you, but I'd like to end our time with a prayer for you. So I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Raising your hand, walking an aisle, filling out a card, none of these things will get you into heaven. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the ultimate glory of God alone. So is there anyone in here right now that's ready silently to tell me that today was the day you placed your faith alone in Christ and you became a Christ one, not knowing a lot about what that means, but knowing this, that your sins are forgiven and you have a home in heaven with him forever. And you'd like for me to pray for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone in here today that's doing that right now? Put it up, put it down. Okay, Christians, how many of you would like to have prayer? Because this message from the Lord on how to withstand some rejection when it comes. It's something that you know is important, but you need to have prayer because you're going to take a more public stand. You're going to, quote, come out of the closet. You're going to now go public a little bit more with your faith and what we might call a separated life unto the Lord. Not legalism, good grief, not that. Not looking down your nose or pointing a bony finger of wrath at other people, but coming alongside them, eating with them, talking to them, being a part of their world for the express purpose of engaging them on the eternal truth that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is the Savior who died and rose again and by faith alone in Him He can have eternal life. But you'd like to have prayer because you know this holiday season is 
is a God sent to us right now. And we're going to use it to go public for him. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone here that would like to have prayer? My hand is up. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the men and women who modeled it even to the point of losing their life for it. Even to those who prayed forgiveness on those when their lives were being destroyed by them. Yes, we know you said forgive them. But even Stephen, a mere man in the flesh who believed in you, said the same thing when he was being truly stoned to death. So help us to be strong. Help us to be unashamed to be a part of the community of the redeemed of those who went public. Father, thank you for this dear faith family and the love they have for one another, their desire to reach our island in the world and how that they're quietly abiding in you and their intimacy. Father, bless them all. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.